if you came tonight looking for a lukewarm church service that was going to make you feel good and you were going to leave here and go, wow, that felt good, nice and cozy, you're in the wrong place. Okay, I'm just going to let you know right up front, you're at the wrong place. <laughs> you really, 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 really like Jesus. But if you are honest with yourself, you don't really want to become like Him. You admire His humility. We all do. But do you really want to be that humble? I mean, you think it's beautiful. I think we all think it's beautiful that the Son of God would get down on His knees and wash the feet of His disciples. We think that's beautiful, but is that really the goal of your life? And is your life headed in that direction of servanthood? You're thankful... That Jesus was spit on and abused and that he took it, but you would never let that happen to you. You love the fact that he laid down his rights, but you're going to spend your life fighting for yours and defending yours. You praise him, you sing songs, and you love him because he loved you enough to suffer during his whole time on this earth for your sake. But you're going to make sure you have fun while you're down here. And that you have a good time. In short, you think Jesus is a great savior, but he's not a great role model. And I say that because a lot of times I'll, I'll give messages and, I, and it's about the character of Jesus Christ and the way we ought to follow that character. And, I, and it's met with this, hey, no, I can have this, I can have that. And I just got to stop and say, wait a second, is Jesus Christ your role model? Think this through. Is it the desire of your heart? That you would be this servant and lay down your life for someone else. The crazy thing about all of this is that 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Let me read it again. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. It's not, it's not an optional thing. It's not this optional thing, well, maybe I can be a Christian and admire everything about Jesus, but my life will look nothing like His. No, John says, no, whoever claims to live in Him, whoever claims to have Jesus in Him, must walk as Jesus did. I don't believe love is just doing the right thing. I don't believe love is just keeping commandments, and I don't believe love is just being patient and kind. And That's what love looks like when it walks and talks, but that's not love. Love is passion. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a passion for God? Do you desire Him? Do you long for Him? Yes, we all go through times in which our hearts are dull. Yes, we go through times when we need to be encouraged. Yes, we all go through times when our eyes are mesmerized by things they should not be. Yes, we all struggle in that. But if someone were to look at your life, would they say, this person has a passion, not for ministry, not for missions, not for evangelism, but for God. If loving God was a crime, could you be convicted? 
Though, although it might be said that all love has romance, I assure you that all romance does not have love. Don't be confused. They are not synonymous. Romance can be defined as an intense, short-lived attraction, fascination, and enthusiasm for someone or something. Usually this romantic attraction is based on some outside quality that is mysterious or fascinating, like something that appears adventurous, heroic, and usually beautiful. This type of romance is temporary and rooted in fantasy, mostly never growing past the level of infatuation. If real love was only romance, relationships would never have a chance. They would be cursed from the very beginning because they're superficial. Your love has to be more than a greeting card. Your love has to be more than a feeling. Your love has to be even more than a mechanical action. Jesus' love was not passive or a romantic response. His love was rooted in truth and in an active response. His love has life-changing character, altering power. His love has life-changing character, altering power. That's the kind of love that we're talking about tonight. Remember, I remember back in the 70s, some of us who have been around for a little bit, remember the captain and Tennille. Love will keep us together. I looked online the other day. They're divorced after 34 years. Love did not keep them together. The, the love that, that we had in the 60s, the peace and the love movement, is not what I'm talking about tonight. The love I'm talking about tonight is in something so much different. And I'm going to try to explain it to you if I can tonight. What does this love look like? It means loving God, it means loving others, and it means loving ourselves. Those three things. But Jesus, didn't Jesus tell us to die to ourselves? Didn't He tell us to deny ourselves? In fact, in Luke 14, 26, it says, If anyone does not hate his father and mother, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We have to love ourselves rightly, not in the wrong sense. This is the tension that goes on in our lives. We need to love ourselves in Christ and hate the lifestyle that resists Christ's leadership. There's two different applications of loving in ourselves. One is right, the other is wrong. We love we should love ourselves in the grace of God. Loving God in the grace Loving God in the grace of God will empower our lives and transform our lives. But loving according to the flesh is destructive and we are to deny that type of love. We see, we see God working in this realm of these things appearing contradictory. He says, "Love yourself." He says, "Hate yourself." We see this, confess and you're saved. And then we see this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It seems as though God is contradicting Himself. But what I'm going to offer you tonight is that He's not a contradiction. But what He's saying to us is He wants us to love in the right way. He wants us to even love ourselves the right way. Those that love themselves according to the flesh are preoccupied with self. Evidence of loving according to the flesh is Constantly being discontent. Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever state that I am in. Philippians 4.11 Ministers are preaching this, this same doctrine today. Love yourself. They say, they've adopted, they've adopted this fascination with self. Self-help. Self-help teaching. Help us to, to be better parents. Help us to do all these things in a better fashion. And what the Lord is saying is, listen, I want you to die to yourself, 
die to the flesh, and then when you truly love yourself in the grace of God, then it's healthy. Those who love themselves according to the Spirit rarely think about themselves. I mean, just think about how many times a day do we think about ourselves? How many times a day do we care for ourselves? How many times a day are we preoccupied with me? I mean, that's what my life revolves around. Me! Right, honey? (laughs) But the Scripture says that love is more than just a feeling or even an action. It is a lifetime of actions. It is a complete, unselfish attitude towards one another. In one word, Jesus summed it up like this. He said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You know, we sing these songs, give myself away. We say, which means wasting our life. We, in the eyes of the world, we forsake all everything else and, we, and we, just, we sing these songs and say, you know what, I'll give myself away. Everything will be dependent on the Lord. And even in Isaiah 49, 4, it says, the men of Jesus' day will say this, you wasted your life. They were saying that of the servant Jesus. He wasted his life. I want you to understand today that God is raising up men and women who will walk in that spirit of John the Baptist that will say, you know what, I am not going to be preoccupied with myself. That I am going to preoccupy myself. That everything about me, everything I do is going to be preoccupied with Christ. And you suddenly say, well, I do that. You know what, then we have to look at what is, what's the most important thing in our life. Somebody say, well, it's the Lord. It's easy to that. Yet, when we'll, how many times a day do you spend the time in the Word? How many times a day do you spend with God in prayer? You know, we can probably, if we have a favorite football team, we can probably name everybody on that team. If we have a favorite baseball team, we say, well, Greg, I'm not into sports. Okay, well, maybe it's hunting. You, I bet you can tell me, if you're a, a rifle guy, you can tell me about every rifle that Mike has down there in the, in, the gun, in the gun armory. See, that's how we operate. Or if it's not that, maybe it's just TV. We can tell you what everything... I can tell you what's going on in everybody's lives on every soap opera in town. I know who won Survivor. See... Because we're preoccupied with what's going on in our lives. With what's preoccupied with us. True love in Christ is manly. It is not a Valentine's card. It is the heart of a warrior. It reflects Christ in our life. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is sanctified. It is relentless, resolved, and resilient. It is powerful, purposeful, and perfect. It is tried, true, and trustworthy. That's what love looks like when we are operating in Christ. You know, in the book of Song of Solomon, in that book of the Bible, it demonstrates the parallel between Christ and His love for the bride, which is the church. And he compares it to the husband and wife. The young bride and the, and the young husband and how they, they're infatuated with one another. Every passage attests to the deep and an abiding love between the lover and the beloved. 
They are so consumed with one another. They are consumed with love for, for, the, for each other. And, and that's what God is showing us in our relationship to Him. We should be so passionate, so consumed, that everything else seems to subside in, 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 in reality of what we have with Christ. Being together with God excites us. When we're apart... When we spend one evening apart from Him, we long to be with Him. Right, Scott? <laughs> it's demonstrated in God's, in God's Word. Love is action. It's not passive. It's not a feeling. It's a verb. This kind of love, that love that Christ has for us, just goes beyond. What I want you to offer you tonight is this, that I want you to eliminate anything that is in competition with Christ in your life. Matthew 6.24 says, We can't serve two masters. We either love one or we hate the other. And this relationship with God, what I'm telling you tonight is, this relationship, I've been preaching about it for the last couple of weeks, and it's saying this, is that, you know what? Nothing else will even compare with that relationship that I have with Him. Because as I read through the Word of God, that's the only kind of relationship there is. Each time that people came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? He says, do this. And it's a point blank. It's this is what you have to do. Basically, he's saying, you have to be a disciple. It's not enough to just be this mediocre, staying in the middle, just having a happy life and, and everything's going to be okay. He's saying, no, listen, I want you to pursue me with passion. Loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves. I ask you tonight, I say it again, if loving God was a crime, could you be convicted tonight? Our passion for Christ should exceed everything. TV, cars, sports, food, grandkids, family, life, surpass, exceed, go beyond. But if we, for, for us to truly love God, we have to be able to love ourselves. We must be able to love ourselves before we can truly love Him. And many of us, I would say, when I read this, I thought this is how I felt it sometimes. Many of us think that God has played some kind of joke when He designed us. Or we hate who we are. We will never be able to comprehend if we can't get a hold of who God, how God loves us. We will never be able to comprehend how deep, how wide, how high, how long, and how great is His love for us. If we are constantly overwhelmed by all the emotional traffic in our lives, by our, our rejection, insecurities, fear, comparisons, bitterness, defensiveness, I want you to know tonight that God delights in you. God delights in you. He doesn't delight in your sin, but He delights in the new creation that you are in Him. You have worth to Him. So much so that He sacrificed His Son. He made an investment in your life. So God delights in you, and He has made an investment in each and every one of you. Some of us think, well, it's just this, this blanket thing He did on the cross. No, I want you to know, He thought of you. He thought of each and every one of you tonight. You are an individual before Christ. We aren't just some big mass. And He doesn't look down from heaven and go, Hey, look at that big group. No, you know what? He looks at you, Jimmy. He knows who you are. He knows your name. Your very hair on your head is numbered, the Bible says. John 15. I want you to know this, that He enjoys loving you. 
and that he does not grit his teeth when he thinks about loving you. John 15, 9 says, As the Father loved me, this is Jesus saying, As the Father has loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. So the love that God has for His Son, He says, I have also loved you in that same measure. That should transform us. He loves you like He loves His Son. Jesus compares the Father's love to the love He has for us. In Isaiah 62.4, it says, The Lord says He is going to name His people, and He says, I will delight in them. God says, as a young man, He goes on to say in verse 5 after 62.4, says in 62.5, He says, God says, As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I want you guys to be able to comprehend this tonight. I feel like it's just bouncing off some heads tonight. I don't feel like it's getting into the heart. But I want you to understand tonight, He loves you that much. He loves you like a husband loves his wife. He loves you with that kind of passion. He cares for you. He delights in you. He's invested in you. From the very beginning... He chose us. Ephesians 1.4 says, Before the foundations of the earth, He chose you. Fellowship and friendship with God started in the garden. We broke it. He didn't give up though. He pursued. He looked for a way so that He could bring us back into right relationship with Him. He never gave up. He is jealous over us. Think about this. He is jealous over you. He's jealous over you. When we are transformed into this new creation, we are spiritually recreated. Our body is still the same, but He breathes, just like He did to Adam. He breathed the breath of life into him. He breathes a spiritual breath of life into each and every one of us. When we come to the Lord, when we, be, when we start this process of walking with Him, He breathes His life into us. Just like He did Adam. You're not just doing this on your own. You take a deep breath. You're breathing the breath of God in you. Created. He took, he took, he, he took Adam and he, he, he formed him into the clay. He, he formed him into a man. And then above all the other creation, He breathed life into him. He didn't do that with any other creation, but He did that with man because He wanted relationship with us. He wanted to be a part of us. When we get caught up in all the things that we're not, physically, when we think of ourselves, our, my looks, my attributes, my beauty, my wealth, my giftings, I don't measure up. We compare ourselves with everybody around us and we say, I just don't measure up. I'm not, I, I don't even know what God would see in me. And we begin to hate ourselves, wishing we were someone else. But 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I like what the, in the, in the New American Standard says, Therefore now, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know Him in a way, this way, no longer. He's saying, listen, I don't want... He, he's not... You know, this, this carcass that we walk in, He sees past that. He's not impressed. 
We came from dust. The most beautiful among us. And, and, and there are some beautiful people around us. But you know what he says? You know what? You're still just dust. But with that, he says, I see that which was in you. Just like he did with David. He says, till Samuel, he says, don't look at these guys. Don't look at these brothers. Yeah, they're big strapping, nice looking guys. Keep going. This guy, this little red-haired, ruddy-looking kid in the back here, he's going to be the king. Because he wasn't worried about what he looked like in his stature. He's not worried about what you look like at Sequoia Dawn. Now, I would like you to take a bath once in a while. Okay? Do some deodorant. But he still wants us to take care of this carcass. All right? But we do not evaluate, we do not define, we do not we don't live our lives in this flesh by our natural abilities, by our physical appearance. Success is not determined in the flesh. Listen to me tonight. Your success is not determined in this flesh. It is determined in the spirit. Are you more concerned about 70 years or 70 billion years? See, that's the problem with this life, is we worry about 70 years. It's hard for me to even worry about, you know, making it through the next day. What am I going to eat tonight? I'm hungry. See, we live constantly bombarded in this fleshly realm. And what God is saying is, listen, I'm talking to you tonight about what's going to go on for eternity. 70 billion years. Think about... Somebody was telling me this this week. I, won't, I, I couldn't make the comparison, but somebody was showing me... Uh, Francis Chan has this string, and he, he, he puts it all out, and he shows this is eternity, and this is our 70 years. I want you to see that little, that little space there is 70 years, and this is, this is just the beginning. If you could probably have these lines going all the way down, that's 70 billion years. It does not mean a whole hill of beans, does it? So you know what? You may not measure up in this life. But I know this. That in my glorified body, the body that I'm going to be in for a thousand years when I rule and reign on this earth, you know what? I have trouble galloping my horse sometimes. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't get in rhythm with it. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Billy when he claps once in a while. <laughs> I said he did. <laughs> I only did that because I had to. <laughs> you were close. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's your mother-in-law. I can't do that. Um, but I can't get in rhythm either. My horse, he starts galloping, and I start bouncing all over the place. And, and the next thing I know, I'm in front of the horn, and I'm behind the horn. And then I'm behind him, and I'm on his hind end. I'm hanging onto the tail. I can't gallop a horse for the, for the life of me. Now, I can go up here and I can ride on these trails and go all day long. But I know this, that in my glorified body, I will gallop. I will gallop. I will ride as one with... I mean, you know, I want to... One day I just like to ride like the wind. You know what I mean? Just ride. I see guys do it. They come over there and they're, they're going after chasing cows. And they got their thing going. I'm like, woohoo, yeah. And I go, yeah, I can't... I, the rope's around my neck. I'm throwing it on the ground. I've got more broken bones on my body from trying to ride and gallop. I've got more pins and things in me than you would ever guess. 
Yes, exactly. Just exactly like that. But what I want you to understand tonight is this. We live our lives in two parts. We have the here and now, and we have the forever. The resurrection. Jesus Himself was not was subject to these physical inabilities. In, in Isaiah 53, 2, it says, He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that, would, that should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held Him in low esteem. In, his, in this life, meek, lowly, humble, poor, weak, and foolish. These are the characteristics of Jesus. See, He would not have been the captain of the football team. He would not have been the greatest wrestler. In fact, when He came into a room, nobody probably even noticed Him. Except those who recognized the Spirit of God. See, people didn't say about Jesus... What a handsome guy. They didn't esteem him. They might have said, hey, he's a pretty good carpenter. He's been doing that for 30 years. He builds a pretty good table. But he wasn't voted in school the most likely to succeed because he did not stick out physically. That looks like some of us. I want you to know that it's okay. It's okay to be meek, humble, and lowly. Those are characteristics of Jesus. Francis Chan, when he was saying that at the beginning, that, that, that scripture that was all moving around, he's saying, you know what? Do you really, really want to be like Him? Because you know what? Being like Him means that this life, I may not be all I want to be, but I do know this. In the life to come, I will be everything and more because He created me. You know, I'm going to walk in a glorified body. I must be tied and tuned to the part two of my life, not part one. Part one is 70 years. Part two is 70 billion years. He wants to give birth to something in the Spirit in us. I want you guys to know this tonight. Here's what's happening. God is, is challenging all of us, I believe, in these messages that God's sharing with us, is this. He's challenging us to give birth to something in the Spirit that we've never done in the past. You know, some of us have gotten close. We've had encounters. We've, had, we've been in moves of God. But you know what? Something happens. Either we fall into sin, we give up, we quit trying, we get distracted. All these things come along. And God's saying, listen, I want you to give birth to something in the Spirit that you have never given birth to before. And you know what? Giving birth, as a woman knows, there's pain involved in that. There's pressing there's, there's pushing that is involved. That's what's happening in the spirit realm in your life right now. You guys have the opportunity. God is ready to give birth to something in all of you guys right here. I want you to know that. You can be in the lowliest place tonight. He's saying, listen, I want you to give birth to something in the spirit that you have never felt, you have never walked in before. You have gotten close and you've aborted so many times. And how do I know this? Because I'm speaking to me. I have abortions laying all behind me because I've gotten close to God and I walked again, I would walk in that place and the Lord, and then, then sin or something would come into my life and distract me. Or I would just give up and quit. 
And I would continue all these places that God was saying, listen, I want you to give birth to this. I'm asking you at this time. I'm asking you tonight. He's calling us in the Spirit. He's saying, listen, I want you to press. I want you to push. I want you to to not give up. That's what He's calling for us tonight. The Spirit of God is beckoning you right now in the Spirit. He's saying, listen, do you want to go to this place where I want to take you? Do you want to walk in this place where I will take you? It is not going to look like what it looks like in the world. In fact, it may be discomfortable. It's going to be some pain. It's going to be a little bit of of, of pushing and pressing and, and moving into God's Spirit. But you know what? If you want to give birth to that, and maybe it's a new, a new walk of faith. Maybe it's just a new walk in the Spirit of God. I am tired. I'm letting you guys know right now. I am not going to live in this place of abortion anymore. I'm tired of, 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 of every single time I get close and I want to press in. I want to push to that place and then I give up. I am not going to quit. I am going to be steadfast, resolved. That's what this love of Christ looks like. He loves you that much. He wants us to walk in that relationship with Him. Do you want to do that in your life? See, this isn't something we can just we can we can just say, yeah, gung ho, I want it to happen. No, this means you get down and you get dirty. You're gonna sweat. As many of you women know, giving birth is not a place of, of, of comfort. It is a place of pain. God is saying, listen, do you want to give birth to this in the spirit, or do you want to just abort again and walk right back to where you were and not walk in the spirit of God? It's up to us. It is up to us tonight. You make the choice in your life. I don't care. You could be the lowliest, meekest person here. And you know what? God says, listen, that's the one I will use. That was a side note. You are important to Him. You are special to Him. You are valuable to Him. Ephesians 2.7 says, We are His workmanship, created to do good works. He enjoys loving you. He's not gritting His teeth. Your zeal for God, sometimes your lives don't match up with the zeal that you have for Him. But you know what? God sees your zeal. God sees your zeal. He delights in watching us grow in Him. He enjoys being with us. Most of what we do for God goes unnoticed. You know, when I'm weed-eating the building out here, not really, well, Bo sees me, but not too many other people do. When you're handing out bread, when you're giving someone a glass of water, the, the, the simplest thing in the name of the Lord, He remembers even the smallest thing, the most insignificant thing that's done for Him, He remembers it for eternity. See, This should liberate us from self-hatred because we become thankful of who we are. Thankful of who He made us. If He did not make you rich, He did not make you beautiful, if He did not make you uh, physically strong, then you know what? You should be thankful because you should be saying, you know what, Lord? I don't have to worry about fighting through all those things. Because Jesus said it like this. He says, a rich man... A rich man came and he he said this about being a rich man. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. See, if you're struggling with these things, don't struggle. Don't struggle in this flesh. Because this is temporary. This will not last. 
This is going to pass away 70 or 70 billion. You will have eternity to be in comfort. You will have eternity to live in, 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 in comfort before the Lord. You know what? It, I think about Sahid over there in an Iranian prison. You know what? The world would say his life is wasted. I think about it when I see his little kids up there and I think, man, how many years he's missing them and not getting to see them grow up. But you know what? He counts it all joy because he knows that, you know what? It doesn't matter. What I have in Christ, what you have in Christ is, is, is eternal. It will, it's going to last forever and ever. See, Scott got me on a message this week, and I'm gonna, I'll just throw it out there for you guys. If you guys have the internet, it's called um, Lukewarm and Loving It. It's by Francis Chan. Lukewarm and Loving It. He says this, that 58% of the world lives on $2 a day. See, I want you guys to understand tonight that regardless, if you are the most impoverished person living in a trailer park, in Sequoia Dawn, if you're living under a bridge, I want you to know tonight that you know what? You are still rich in the eyes of this world. You're rich. And with that, with that richness that God has blessed upon this country, it has caused us to look away from Christ. It has caused us to have a more difficult time coming into relationship with Him. See, His love is magnified and displayed in us. His lo he loves to watch us. He loves to watch us grow. It, he loves... You know, I want you to know this. His eye is upon you. His gaze is upon you. I was thinking about that last night when I went out to pray and the stars were out and I had to be quiet because we had our granddaughter with us. So I was outside praying and I was, I was like... Lord, your gaze is upon me tonight. You're looking upon me. I want to be in right relationship when He looks upon me. Is there anything, God, that I have, have, I, have, I have put in front of you? Is there any idol that I have placed in front of you? I don't want anything. Eliminate all competition with Christ. Don't let there be anything. But see, the enemy, will he loves to come in. As soon as we get ready to go before the Lord, he likes to bring up whatever's going on in our life. He'll bring up a, a situation with our husband or wife. He'll bring up a financial situation. He'll bring up our kids. He, even last night, he brings, you know, he brings up, hey, Greg, you didn't check your horses for water. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? Man, maybe I should drive up there right now. It's 11 o'clock at night. I said, you know what? No, Lord, I'm going to rest in you that I know that it's all taken care of. Now, I went this morning and checked. Yes. But the, the, the fact remains is that, you know what, we have, to, we have to be in Him. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Not many of you, the verse before this says, not many of you were considered wise. Not many of you were considered mind, mighty before you came to the Lord. I want you to understand this, that what we, today, what we do today has continuity to the age to come. Everything we do today is, is, is propels us into that next age. 70 or 70 billion. For the believer, this life is the best they will ever have. For the, excuse me, for the unbeliever, that's what I wanted to say. Did I say that? No, nope, it's not there. Okay. For the unbeliever, 
This life is the best they will ever have. See, but we have preachers today that tell us, your best life now. You should be rich and famous now. Everything you need in life is given to you. I want you to understand this, that, that the, for the unbeliever, this is their best. What they see around them, if they've got it made, and you know what, you can almost, you can almost just be glad for them, because if they have a beautiful house, or they got a beautiful car, and things are going good for them, because you know what, that's where it ends for them. But for the believer, this life is the worst it will ever be for you. Think about that just for a moment. This life is the worst it's ever going to be. Our best life is still yet to come in eternity. Francis Chan coined this. He, he, he preached this message. says, your best life later. That's his message to us. Your best life later. You know, God sometimes does bless us with things on this earth. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, I pray over my leadership group. I pray over you here at Ignite that God will financially bless you. But you know what? I would rather you be poor... I would rather you be living under a bridge and know Jesus Christ than you to be living in a nice home and lost. See, we got to get connected to God's value system. How He feels about us. How He views the things of this world. We will not be able to connect to Him until we are able to love and be loved by Him. So, let me just get this straight. I'm going to close with this. So let me get this straight, Greg. You're saying... Weak things are strong. Foolish things are wise. Love other more than yourself. And then I want you to love and obey an invisible God who does not show me how He really feels until I enter into the next age. Seem logical? See, with God, it doesn't, it doesn't measure up to our standards. See, He chose the weak things to make strong. He chose the lowly things of this life. Some of you guys might say, you know what, Greg, I, I'm, I feel as though I, I don't think I could, get any more, I could get any lower. You know what? You're right where God wants you. And you know what? God can use you in that state. When you're weak, when you're weak, that's when His grace empowers us to be strong. I'm not talking about in the flesh though. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, that this life might be wasted away. I have, I've had to get to the place in my life where I say, you know what? Okay, the next 25 years, it doesn't matter what it looks like. God, I've got to be so in tune, so sold out. Everything for you. That's what He's calling all of us. This isn't a popular message. See, your best life now is what we want to hear. <laughs> Not my best life later. But see, think about this. Would you rather have 70 years of pretty good life or 70 billion years of a great life with God? See, that's what being a disciple of Christ looks like. He's calling us to that. He's pulling us. He's drawing us into that tonight. I'm going to have us spend some time in worship and I just you know what I don't want you to tonight I don't want this to be a deal where okay I mean he's calling me he wants me at the altar no I'm not, if that's where the Lord wants you yeah I want you there if the Lord wants you just laid out on the floor right here before him tonight then that's where I want you but 
I want you just to allow the Holy Spirit. You know what? There's probably things in your life. This message that I was speaking, I probably said, you know what? I can see this thing. I haven't eliminated the thing that God wants me to eliminate in my life. He wants me to pull this out of my life and get it out of my life. He loves you. He delights in you. He's invested in you. He desires relationship with you. He wants to see you grow. You know, I was telling Ron, somebody told me a, a couple weeks ago, they said, you know, Greg, these messages you preach, you know, I just don't know. I can see for those who've been Christians for a while, but for these, for these young Christians, I don't know if it's, it may be too much for them. And Ron tells me, he says, Greg, you know what, the way I look at it, when you preach on Tuesday night, it's like this. It's like you're saying to the one who's running in the front, the one who's been a Christian for a long time, you're rooting him on. You're saying, come on, come on, you can make it. Keep running, keep running. There's the finish line. And to the one that's running in the back that maybe just got started, you're rooting them on just the same. You're saying, come on, you can make it. You can do it. Don't give up. You know what? Don't worry about where you're at. I want you to know tonight that God is not going to compare you to Billy Graham or to Greg. He is going to compare you to what He gave you in your life. You do not have to measure up to my life. You do not have to measure up to Scott's life. You only have to measure up to what God has given you. That measure which you have been given, you will be responsible for. And I tell you this, that which God has given me, I know I'm responsible for. And I am not going to be ashamed when I stand before Him. I am not going to be put to shame because I'm going to say, God, I did my very best. I pressed. I pushed. I gave birth to that in the Spirit that You wanted me to do. I am going to keep pressing and pushing. I'm not going to give up. You're calling me not to give up, not to quit. That's the message to those who are, who are first and those who are last. Don't give up. You guys, keep running. Keep running. That finish line is right there. Keep running. Those of you in the back, don't give up. You keep running too. God loves you that much. Amen.